0: says, the next day a great multitude that had come to the feasts, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he found a young donkey, had sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that he had done these things, they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. And the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Jesus answered, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. And Father, we humbly pause and ask, prepare us now as we continue in this time of worship to hear what the voice of God would say to us through the word of God as we look at it together this morning. Bless your word and speak to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, by God's design, there is a purpose and a special reason for the existence of every human life. Now, since we just happen to be nine days away from when we vote uh, for our next president, let me restate that. By God's design, there is a purpose. And there is a special reason for the existence of every single human life. Despite the conditions or circumstances, we should always put high value upon each and every life. Let us be those who uphold that every life is sacred, that every life has an intended purpose. Any life that comes into existence has an important purpose for existing. Let me say that again, any life that comes into existence has an important purpose for existing. And there was no other human life that that was more true of, even what in what looked like sort of a scandalous pregnancy, than the life of Jesus Christ, who came and lived among us as a man, wasn't even in the best of circumstances. Jesus was, in a sense, born, if you think of it, to two teenage parents who at that time weren't even legally married yet. But yet the life of Jesus and existence had more important purpose than any other human life. And Jesus, in living his life as a man, coming from heaven and living as a man, fulfilled his purpose for his existence. And therefore, you and I, as followers of Christ, we should now be motivated to fulfill our purpose For our existence in the day and generation we live that's really what the passage in front of us is seeking to exemplify for us this morning fulfilling the purpose of jesus what he did and what we should do as well in relation to that remember contextually at this point we are now within the last week of the life of jesus we saw that at the beginning of chapter 12 there all the events from this point forward in john's gospel are within the last week of jesus's life leading up to his crucifixion and his death upon the cross. If you draw your attention with me back at the beginning of our verses, verse 12, let's look at them. It says, The next day a great multitude had come to the feast, and when they heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, they took palm branches and trees from trees, and they went out to meet him, and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, it says, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, take note here. The first way that we see Jesus fulfilling his purpose as a man and his existence is in precise fulfillment of scripture or what we might particularly call prophecy here. Jesus' birth, Everything about his life, his ministry, his uh, death and the way he went about it, his resurrection, all those things happen in complete accordance precisely with over 300-some prophecies or predictions that were made about his life, his human life, hundreds of years before Jesus' human life ever came into existence on this earth. Written and recorded by Old Testament prophets, from times past which had no personal connection to one another, many of them. Many of them lived in completely different time periods, yet there's no contradiction. They all contributed something about the life of Christ and what would take place with it as a man. However, it was the same eternal God who spans all of time in history, who was by his spirit directing those different individuals to record things and to write what they spoke so that ultimately when the life of christ came into existence jesus living as a man and he began to precisely fulfill those things it would be a great authentication that this indeed is not any other human being this is the very son of god sent from heaven to fulfill the plans and purposes of god now these first few verses we're looking at here in John chapter 12, in our study this morning, give a brief summation of what we often call today the triumphal entry of Christ as he came into Jerusalem. That's what we often call this. It's the occasion we know when Jesus openly, publicly, allowed himself to be revealed and recognized as the king of Israel, as the promised and predicted Messiah that God would send. All four gospels record this event uh, Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19 are the places we find it in the other Gospels. And the other Gospels give us a considerable more amount of detail and information about the triumphal entry. John gives us the briefest summary of it uh, in his Gospel. When, first of all, did these events happen? Well, by looking at the time frame we have here, we know that this is often re- what we now refer to as Palm Sunday, we call it today, it's about four days before the crucifixion and death of Jesus, and it is therefore one week away from what we refer to as Resurrection Sunday, the day that Jesus raised from the dead. The setting we're told here in our text is the celebration of the feast or the Passover feast, as we saw at the beginning of John chapter 12. That's what's being referred to. And remember, this is the final Passover feast of Jesus' earthly life where he now will become the ultimate fulfillment of what this Passover feast celebrated as he would die as a substitute and the sacrifice for the sins of the people. Remember, John the Baptist pointing to Jesus said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Once for all, the fulfillment, Christ our Passover. Remember, Passover celebrated God's powerful deliverance of his people out from under the oppression and the bondage of the Egyptians. And as they're now celebrating the Passover, one of the major feasts in Israel, verse 12 says that there was, look at it, a great multitude that had come to that feast at this time, which was typical because this was a monumental time during the year. It's one of the three major feasts. And among that great multitude of worshipers, We have to understand there was incredible hope and there was incredible optimism within their hearts that God's promised deliverer would now set them free once again from Roman oppression and from the strong hand of Rome ruling over them and controlling them at at this time historically. And many by this point were starting to believe and desire that Jesus was that deliverer that he was that Messiah that was going to come and again now deliver them from oppression one more time politically by overthrowing Rome, that Jesus would set up his throne, that he would reign as a mighty king militarily and politically and he would overthrow Rome and liberate them in this way as a political king. And they yearn for that. That's why we read in the text here that when verse 12, they heard that Jesus was coming into the capital city of Jerusalem They took branches, it says, of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, crying out the prophecy there that we find from Psalm 118. Now, when it says the people came out with palm palm branches, waving them, palm branches for the Jews, by this time historically, were used as symbols of victory. From around the time of the Maccabees, they would use palm branches when they'd have a great national victory over something or someone was returning back from a victory So they're now waving these palm branches toward Jesus in celebration, believing finally God's sending us the deliverer. We've been waiting for someone to overthrow Rome for us and the optimism here is that perhaps Christ is this one who will do this. So in fulfillment of scripture, we read there in verse 13, they now start enthusiastically proclaiming the statements from Psalm 118, which was a psalm, a messianic psalm that predicted God's deliverer, his Messiah, that he said he was going to send to his people. So they now start shouting the statements from that particular psalm, Hosanna, which again, that word Hosanna means save now. The idea is they were saying now, Save now, we're tired of the Roman bondage. Save us now, liberate us, set us free from Rome's hand ruling over us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. We, we want you as our King, Jesus. We're voting for you. You alone can set us free from the Roman rule. And notice the unusual, however, and humble way. It says here in verse 14 and 15 that Jesus was coming into the city In this triumphal entry, it says Jesus had found a young donkey and was sitting on that as he had this triumphant entry and was coming into the city of Jerusalem. Now, you have to understand the picture here, the cultural practice in that day, especially among the Roman Empire. When one of their military generals or someone who was a, a powerful ruler would make a triumphal entry either back into the city after war or coming in to just you know visit a city or a location, they came with all kinds of pomp and circumstance. They rode on big, strong stallions that were decorated with armor. And and there was this purposeful display of all the power and all the authority. And Jesus, who's now openly allowing himself in accordance with Daniel 9, the exact day and the hour was predicted that this day... The Messiah would reveal himself openly. Jesus now revealing himself as the true king of Israel and their deliverer comes, how? Riding, oh, not just a donkey, but a young donkey, a young buck. And he comes in the most humble way. He comes in the most simple way, completely opposite of the cultural practice of that day. Let's be real. That's not exactly a strong showing of authority, Of letting your muscle and your force be demonstrated the way when these kings would come in, and again, little boys would be like, wow, look at that. And there'd just be so, and here comes Jesus. You know, he's sitting on on the back of a donkey, a young donkey riding in humbly and quietly. Why such a humble and different approach than other kings who presented themselves? Well, first and foremost, above all else, it was because that was what fulfilled Scripture that was what was prophesied to validate to indicate no question this is god's deliverer this is god's messiah that's how it was predicted that the king of the jews would identify himself Zechariah 9 that's what's being quoted there in verse 15 Zechariah 9 said fear not daughter of zion your king behold he's coming how sitting on a donkey's colt or on a young donkey so that they could clearly identify that was the manner purposely Jesus came so that he could honor his father and help people. Now, I want you to see this. Obeying his father and following scripture in personal humility, that mattered more to Jesus than having the cultural approval of how everybody else did things in his day and age. He could have, oh, I've got to keep with culture. This is the pattern of culture. This is how everybody does things in culture. So you've you got to do it the way culture does it. Jesus was more interested in obeying and honoring his father and fulfilling and obeying the word of God than he was having the approval of people in the culture in a way that all the other kings typically would. And can I say, what a great example for you and I as his followers as followers of Christ, a purpose for us to aspire to, that we would have the humility, listen, the humility to desire to obey the word of God and to do what honors the Lord more than having the approval of people. And following the practices of culture and the patterns of how everyone else does things. And if that's what's necessary to fulfill our highest purpose in life, may we be more interested in fulfilling our purpose and obeying the word of God and doing what honors the Lord personally in our life than we are having to have the approval that we did things the way everybody else does things. And here Jesus sets this beautiful example. The second reason he came in this way humbly as well was because the first coming of Christ, the purpose and reason for it was to come what? Not as a triumphant, victorious, powerful king. That will happen in his second coming where he'll be on a horse and he'll be one bad hombre as he comes through the sky. And I can say that from the pulpit because it means something. He's going to come on a victorious triumph when he comes again soon. But the first time he came, he came as a suffering servant to fulfill the purpose of being the substitute and the sacrifice for sin for all of humanity to take the punishment of the sin of the world. That's why this same crowd that we read here in this day that was shouting uh, to Jesus, Save now, you are our king in a matter of a few days, fickleness of humanity. In a matter of a few days, their same people are going to turn around and reject Jesus and those same voices are going to say, away with this man, crucify him, crucify him. Because again, he was fulfilling scripture. Isaiah 53 tells us of Jesus that he was despised and rejected by men, wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. It says, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before a shearers of silent. So he opened not his mouth for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. So this is what Jesus was fulfilling and this is why he was coming in the way that he was. So that he could be clearly identified and to fulfill the humble servant king that he was in the first time that he came. Now look at verse 16, his disciples being a part of all this experience. It says, they did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was then glorified later on, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. So as the disciples initially experience what Jesus is doing, they don't understand it. They don't grasp, they're not aware what Jesus was actually doing in that moment. They didn't understand why he was going about things in that way, yet in time, verse 16 tells us, things became more clear in their understanding of what the purposes of God really were and what Jesus was doing in their lives at that moment. Once Jesus fulfilled more of the plan and overall purpose, once he was crucified and then after he was buried and rose back from the dead in his glorified form and then gave his spirit to his disciples and ascended back into heaven... It says, verse 16, then, though they didn't understand first, then they remembered, it started clicking, the dots started connecting, then they remembered, oh, now I see it. This was prophesied in Scripture. He was just fulfilling the word of God and what we were doing. People were oblivious that they were doing things and it was completely lining up in accordance with what a sovereign God had said was going to happen in relationship to Jesus. And at that point later on, as time passed, all the dots started coming together and they started seeing the plan of God. It's like connecting the dots. You remember when you did, when you were a kid you, and as you start connecting the dots, it, it starts getting exciting because then you start, oh, look at that. There's a picture. Now I see it. I see what it was a little ducky. Look, I didn't know it was a ducky. It just looked like dots at first. And all of a sudden you start to connect the dots and the pieces come together and you start to see the, the picture of what's going on there of the Lord's glorious work. It all started to become evident. And it took a little bit of time, and it took a process. And sometimes, just like with the disciples here in our lives, it takes a measure of time, listen, to fully understand the purposes of the Lord. And that's okay. And you need to be patient with yourself, and patient with others, and, and patient in the process. Sometimes it takes a, a, a combination of time time and the Word of God and the Spirit of God to ultimately allow us to see the purpose of God and the whole picture and the plan of God and what He really is doing, maybe, where then ultimately He allows us to connect the dots and we see the beautiful picture. And we say, like the writer in Ecclesiastes 3, He's made everything beautiful in its time. Wow! Lord, look at that. When it was first happening and I was walking through, I couldn't it just looked like a scrambled mess it looked like a three-year-old just took a piece of copy paper and went like this and put dots all over the paper there was no connected dot puzzle there but then all of a sudden with time and experience and the spirit of god giving understanding and staying in the word all of a sudden the dots start coming together we see wow look at that lord that's amazing you had a purpose you had a plan you had a a a thing that you were accomplishing in the midst of all that you were working through all then we can say like the psalmist in psalm 118 verse 23 this was the lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes wow lord How, wow, you used all those things and you put all the dots together and you made this wonderful thing and brought about something so much better in the bigger picture. How wonderful. Listen, I want to encourage you. Right now, if it looks like a bunch of dots, have faith, wait on the Lord, trust the Lord, keep doing the right thing. In time, you'll see the picture and when you do, you're going to be really pleasantly surprised. You're going to go, wow. You're going to be like Joseph who could even say, You know, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. He used it for something good over the big picture. And the wonderful thing is that our God is able to do that. The Lord is working. Jesus hasn't changed. Be patient. It may take time to understand the purposes of God, but ultimately, like his disciples, you'll see in due time. Verse 17 says, therefore, the people who were with him, so the the, the camera now pans back to the crowd after this triumphal entry, and it says the people who were there with him called La- he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead. They then began to bear witness. So verse 17 speaks of those first hand eyewitnesses who had just seen that miracle that we saw back in chapter 11 where Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. And it says they now are starting to give testimony all around the area of Jerusalem and Bethany and the surrounding uh, precincts in that area one other translation says they were continuously spreading the word and when somebody gets raised from the dead that kind of tends to be a talk of the town for a little while so they're telling everybody and and verse 18 goes on to say and for this reason the people also met him because they had heard that he had done this sign so what this is describing here in verse 17 and 18 at this point two enthusiastic crowds are kind of merging together in one big crowd You have the crowd that's involved in the triumphal entry of Jesus that we were reading about here, proclaiming him as king, waving their palm branches and kind of promoting and campaigning, this is who we want as our king because he'll do what we want. And then you have the other crowd which was growing and assembling and gaining momentum of those who were going around spreading the word that he had raised a man from the dead who were also thinking, listen, if there's anybody that can overthrow Rome, It's a guy who can raise somebody from the dead. So they're now converging together with all this enthusiasm. And it's kind of like an enthusiastic crowd, quite frankly, on a campaign trail. They're very hyped up and they're thinking this person could do for me and do for our nation what we want. And this crowd is growing enthusiastic about Jesus and what he can do. And then, of course, always when you have enthusiasm, you also have detractors in every campaign crowd, right? Verse 19, therefore the Pharisees, they said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So they're starting to get upset now, the religious leaders. Why? Because they have been trying to put the kibosh on Jesus so hard at every turn that they're highly upset and they're getting angry among their own sort of camp of religious establishment. Now they're saying, what are you doing? You're not accomplishing anything. The whole world's going after this guy. Nobody can stop his popularity. They're getting upset. Well, verse 20 says, now there were certain Greeks as well. That would be Gentiles or non-Jews who were among those who had come up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee. There was a lot of Greek populace in that area. It's probably why they went to Philip. And they asked him saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. So look what happens here. Among the crowd of Jewish worshipers at the feast, the Bible tells us as well, there were some Greeks or non-Jews that were also there to worship God and they now come to the disciples of Jesus at this point and they're asking, sir, we would like to meet Jesus ourselves. We would like to see Jesus firsthand, have our own encounter with him. And I think this is just a beautiful picture here Uh, You have those who've come, it says, to worship God and they've come to the temple of God. And look what their desire and their motivation is. The center of their desire, those who want to worship God, who've come to the house of God is what? Seeking Jesus. Do you see what they say? We want to see Jesus. We're here to worship and we want to see Jesus jesus can i just say in the bible that is a beautiful picture that the holy spirit of god gives to us there that those who come to the house of god or those who want to worship god that that would be the central desire and interest that they want to seek jesus i think of those who don't know the lord those who are unsaved unbelievers and maybe they're genuinely seeking truth Maybe they genuinely want to know if God uh, You know what? I wish that that would be their heart that they'd say, you know, we just want to see Jesus for ourselves. We like to see for ourselves this person Jesus. That we we want to see Jesus. I don't want to see what goes on in a church. I don't want to see uh, I want to see Jesus. Who is Jesus? And what is Jesus' plan and purpose? That the unsaved soul would have that desire to just want to see Jesus. That will never dissatisfy. That will always bring a person to the truth. That will always bring a person to a right place spiritually. And for all of us who are already followers of Christ and love and know Jesus, that should be the picture of our pursuit and personal worship. That our heart as wanting to worship God and when we come to the house of God, there should be our central focus we just really want to see Jesus. I don't want to see a great worship team. I don't want to listen to a bad pastor. I don't want to see a great charismatic teacher. I, I don't want to see... I want to see Jesus. I'm coming to the house of God. I want to worship God. Well, listen. May the overarching theme in our hearts be, we just want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Jesus we want to see more about him and who he is and what he's like and we want to meet jesus we want to have a first-hand experience with jesus that is true worship that is the true heart of what any worshiper should be after that we want to have an encounter with the lord the bible says let us fix our eyes on jesus considering him wanting to see him and know him more fully well verse 22 says philip then came and told andrew about this and he in turn uh told philip and andrew and then they went and they told jesus about this so they report to jesus hey there are some individuals they want to see you they they want to know more about you but jesus verse 23 answered saying <clears throat> the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified now take note of this the hour has come that should be a a, a phrase that sticks out to you there Many times already, Jesus has said what? My hour has not yet come. In other words, it's not the right time. He said that multiple times already. Now, he indicates it is. He now says the hour has come. Now, the hour of Jesus refers specifically to that divine pre-planned timetable when Jesus would suffer for the sins of the world. It resulted in the substitutional and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ as a sinless man, as he died taking our punishment as sinful people in our place, where he would give up his life upon the cross for the sins of the world. And this was now the very hour from heaven's timetable, the Bible says as well here through Jesus' words, that Jesus, as both the Son of Man and Son of God simultaneously, would now be glorified. The hour has come, when he will die as a suffering servant, that hour is when Jesus should be glorified. Notice, how is Jesus glorified? Through his painful self-denial, and his submission to the will of God for his purpose and existence, specifically in his submission to dying upon the cross for our welfare and our benefit. That's how Jesus was glorified, the Bible says. It says in Philippians 2, Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant coming in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, the most horrific form. Therefore, because he did that, listen, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and under it and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the Bible says, in this hour, as the purposes of God come to pass, Jesus would be glorified and he was glorified through his humility and his submission to the will of God and the laying down of his life sacrificially. It was through that that God was glorified and Christ was exalted. And Jesus says, this is the hour now that I as the Son of Man should be glorified. Notice, when the set hour of God finally came, Jesus was glorified and can i say by way of application again whenever god's timing comes to pass in a situation jesus should be really glorified whenever the purposes of god converge in some situation and the hour finally comes for these purposes of god to to converge and come to pass in that moment here's how you can tell jesus should be glorified That's how you can tell when the plans and the purposes of God are beginning to unfold. No flesh is glorying. People aren't excited about this. Jesus is being glorified. When the hour of God comes, the Son of God will be greatly, greatly glorified. Verse 24, Jesus then goes on to speak here saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, then, he says, it produces much grain. So he uses an analogy here, Jesus does, of what would happen through his life, but not just his life, but we see here then his death, and that is what would be yielding spiritual and eternal harvest as a result of him giving up his life in death. Just like a seed or a grain of wheat cannot yield life or produce a harvest, in a sense until it dies or it is buried into the dark ground it does nothing until then the analogy proves just like in nature death, the idea here is death is a way to life death is the pathway to producing life out of death springs forth life and harvest you take a kernel of wheat you take a seed how does it accomplish its intended purpose? you can take a seed and everything that's necessary for life is encoded inside that little seed But if you leave that little seed on your windowsill, for years and years and years, no life, no harvest will ever produce out of it. But if you take that seed and you bury it in the dark ground, you give it a burial, in a sense it dies, it decomposes, it breaks open, then what happens? Then life springs out of it. Then a harvest is yielded as the result. It produces a harvest through that process. So what's Jesus doing? He's indicating the necessity of, of his own death to then yield or produce spiritual life and an eternal harvest. That's what he's saying here. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. It it does nothing to help others. But if it dies, referring to himself, it produces much grain, a fruitful harvest. Souls that are saved and people who experience a spiritual and eternal harvest. He then says, verse 25, he who therefore loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am there, my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So look what Jesus does. He now takes this principle he just gave uh, about Death and self-denial being the path or the way to life afterwards. And he now takes that principle of his own life experience and he puts it forth as a pattern for those who are his followers to embrace as well. That's what he's doing here. The way of Jesus' life is to become our way of living as his servants. Let me say that again. The way of Jesus' life is to become our way of living as his servants. You see what he says there? Look with me in verse 26. He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. The idea here is a commitment to Christ and a requirement to follow Christ's life. They go together. There's no room for separation between those two things. That's why Jesus says, count the cost before you become a disciple. Jesus never preached a a form of, of soft you know, Christianity that had no sacrifice or sense of denial or or, or commitment. Jesus preached, an, well, I hope he preached an honest gospel <laughs> because it was the truth. And Jesus is stating here, if we say and claim that Jesus is our Lord and we are his servants and he therefore is ruling over us, then Jesus says it's a given that if he is our Lord and we're his servants, that comes with a required commitment To follow Jesus. And first and foremost, to follow Jesus in the way that he lived. To live like Jesus lived. The Bible tells us in 1 John 2, verse 6, whoever claims to live in Jesus must walk as Jesus did. If we make a profession, I'm a follower of Jesus, then Jesus says, okay, if you make a profession, you're my servant, I'm your Lord, then you need to follow me you need to live the way that I live. Scripturally, and according to Jesus himself, that's not optional. And it's not even when it's just convenient to live that way. And it's not a matter of, well, if it fits my desires and plans. Today, if you pray best to be a servant of Jesus, you're supposed to embrace the pattern of the life of Jesus. I'm supposed to embrace the lifestyle of Jesus the heart of Jesus the way he lived his life to serve the Lord is to follow the ways of our Lord over patterns of the world and over our personal desires and interests if I am gonna say I am a servant of the Lord if I say that then that goes directly in connection with no separation if I say I'm a servant of the Lord then that means I I follow the way of the Lord, not the patterns of this world, nor my own personal desires. Because see, sometimes the pattern of this world, they contradict the way to live for Christ. And a lot of times, I'll admit I'm extremely selfish and full of all kinds of sinful, horrible desires and thoughts and feelings. And at times, my personal desires don't line up with the way that Christ lived. It just doesn't happen. But I have to choose, like Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself daily. Take up his cross, embrace the will of God, and follow me. And we have to know the life of Christ and how Jesus lives so that we can follow that pattern. I would offer us all a challenge this morning. If somebody asked any one of us who claimed to be a Christian, are you serving the Lord? We would probably quickly pipe up and say, yes. But I think the honest evaluation is this. I have to first evaluate, am I truly following the ways of Jesus? Because if I'm truly following the ways of Jesus, then Jesus is Lord in my life. If I'm not willing to follow the ways of Jesus, then uh, I need to work through some lordship issues. And I need to say, Lord, if I'm going to serve you, then I will follow you. I will follow your way of life, embrace your pattern of life. I realize we're growing in it, but we should be aspiring towards that. Notice Jesus goes on to say in our text as well here that where I am, he says, verse 26, there my servant will be also. Jesus is saying wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, my loyal servants will join me in that. They will follow me. In that hour, what was Jesus doing? He was laying down his life. For the sake of others. Again, remember the spiritual paradox we just got in verse 24 that death is the way to life and to have impact upon others. And what Jesus is saying here to us is without the process of dying first to ourselves, dying to our self life, dying to our own self centered pursuits, one's intended purpose from God cannot really be fulfilled. We cannot fully experience the purposes of God for our life and we certainly won't be effective like Jesus was in his earthly life. He says there in these verses, if you love and cherish your own life, you see what he's saying? If anyone loves me, he says, or excuse me, loves his life, verse 25, then he'll lose it. In other words, he's saying, if you love and cherish your own life to the point where you have to have what you want or you must pursue your preferences in life, or you must have your self-interest and you must seek your will and indulge your ideas and satisfy your desires, then Jesus says, if that's your, your heart, then he says, let me assure you, it's going to result in personal loss. You're going to lose the very life that you're striving so hard to attain. It's going to result in a life of personal loss. You're going to end up failing to discover the highest purpose of your existence. You're going to miss out on it. And when we live that way, a person finds out, ultimately, they just end up empty and frustrated and miserable. Who cannot testify to that? Boy, I remember when I was just, I was the captain of my own fate, master of my own soul, and I was—I you know, loved myself and I was going to do what I wanted and it was all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. And I worshipped that. And what did we end up with? Honestly, when we put our head down on our pillow at night, and after we tried that for a while, we were empty. We were frustrated. We didn't even know why we were frustrated. What am I? Why am I frustrated? Why am I empty? Because we were experiencing the personal loss of self-worship and and loving our own life. And so Jesus says, "You'll you'll miss fulfillment. You'll miss out being a blessing on being used by God to impact others." But he says the opposite of that is if anyone is willing to love and trust God and his wisdom and love, and he says to hate or forsake your own life, your own life agenda and ambition so that you can find the purposes of God instead, he says that will result in the exact opposite. You will find the spiritual life God intended, a relationship with Christ, eternal life, and with Jesus as your Lord leading and directing you, you'll gain fulfillment. You'll say, wow, this is life, man. This is living the way I think God wanted us to live. This is a life that has a sense of contentment and satisfaction to delight to do His will. And you get to be a vessel that God uses and it's not just serving yourself. You start serving others and all of a sudden you say, wow, this is is life and more abundantly. And Jesus speaks of this paradox that exists. Look again at verse 26 there where He says, verse 26, He says, I am, he says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Wherever I am, there my servant will be also. I want to ask you this morning, if you claim to be a servant of Christ, where perhaps is the presence of the Lord leading today? Jesus said, where I am, there my servant will be also. Where's the Lord leading today? That indicates that as his servants, we should try and stay sensitive to, to follow when the Lord is leading. Where's the Lord leading in your life? What things is he about to do? What's he involved in? We should seek to stay in step with the Lord if he's working in some way or seeking to pursue some purpose. We should say, Lord, wherever you are, I'm right with you. I want to be with you in whatever you're doing. I want to be a part of that. And Jesus promises in verse 26 that if anyone serves him, that his father will honor. God will reward Those who follow Jesus in obedience, with favor, with blessing. Are you trying to figure, oh, I don't know, should I serve the Lord? Yes. Should I follow where the Lord's leading? Yes. Because the Father will honor that. He'll honor that with his favor and his blessing upon that very thing. Jesus then says, verse 27, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? So again, notice at this point, Jesus is being very transparent in his humanity as he's facing what the sin of the world he's never been defiled by sin he's a sinless son of god and he's going to have the sin of the world put upon him he's going to have the judgment of the wrath of god against all the sin of human history come down upon him he's going to go through tremendous pain and suffering and the weight and burden of that jesus said was troubling him inwardly as a man it was overwhelming him it was a hard thing to carry it was stressful the will of God was not easy for Jesus. He was under great pressure. He said, my inward man, my soul, I'm troubled with him. It was like a boat anchor weighing down upon him. And I want to say something this morning. We should be thankful that the Bible shows that Jesus experienced those things as a man. Because when you're living out your life, perhaps at times you think no one else can relate when your soul is overwhelmed and troubled with what may become part of the will of God for your life. And you think, oh, this is so troubling. And Jesus said, what shall I say? How do I pray? How wonderful to know Jesus understands. Is your soul troubled? Are you saying, Lord, this is heavy, this is hard. I I don't know how to process this. Listen, he can say, that's okay. I was there too. I understand that in humanity. I understand what that feels like on your thoughts and your emotions and your psyche and everything within you. Look what Jesus says. Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. So Jesus says, what should I say? I'm troubled. Should I say, Father, get me out of this? Save me from this hardship. Save me from this difficulty of self-denial and sorrow and suffering that is attached to me following your will for my life in this situation. He said, should I say, just because it's hard to walk through, get me out of it? Jesus says, no. He says, I realize in order to fulfill the very God will of God, I came to this very purpose for this hour. The struggle, the hardship, the difficulty, this is all part of the overall plan of God to birth something that is going to bring a tremendous change of events and often is what we experience in our lives as well. So he says, for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name so there jesus does something beautiful in the hardest hours of his life as a man what does he do here we find jesus doing two things he submits to the will of god and then he just surrenders in prayer he says for this purpose i came to this hour he humbly accepts the will of god over his life hard as it was he says but yet i realize All that's been happening, my yielding and obedience right now, he says, this is the very purpose for the very hour I'm at because God's got a purpose in this and God's got a plan that he'll bring out. So Jesus, in the hardest hour of his life, he submits to the will of God and then what does he do? He seeks for God to be glorified. He just prays a brief prayer, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. Above all human comfort, the struggles, the pain, the stress, the self-denial, Jesus simply asked that God would be glorified in it. Father, just glorify yourself in the midst of this. Well, then it says, verse 28, A voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So Jesus prays this prayer. God the Father speaks audibly from heaven and says assuring him, I have already glorified the name of the Lord and I will continue to glorify the name of the Lord in the midst of all these things. Can I say, as you hear that response from heaven, verse 28, Jesus' prayer there is a great prayer that we as servants can follow him in. Because you know that prayer is in accordance with the will of God. You want to pray according to the will of God when you're troubled and overwhelmed and and it's just too hard to fulfill the purpose and the path. You can pray that simple prayer of Jesus. Father, glorify your name and you just prayed in accordance with the will of God. And God will always honor that prayer because it is always the will of God to bring glory to the name of God. The Bible says whatever you do, just do it all for the glory of God. It's a simple, beautiful way that we can pray. The father answers audibly. Well, the people, verse 29, when they heard it, they didn't understand. They thought it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus again answered in conclusion, saying, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. So he says, my father speaking from heaven, it wasn't to assure me. I know who I am. He says it was for your sake to help you to again authenticate who I really am as the Son of God from heaven. Now this is the third time in the Bible where God broke into creation and spoke audibly from heaven. It happened, remember, at Jesus' baptism. It happened at Jesus' triumphal entry. And now here it happens right before Jesus dies. And on all three occasions you can look on all three occasions, the purpose of God breaking in and speaking audibly to heaven was the same purpose every time. It was to do one simple thing to it people's attention and focus to be more fully on Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him, listen to him. God's heart is always the same in this situation. Understanding this is the reason why because the purpose of our life, the most important purpose of our life is understanding the purpose of Jesus's life. Because if you find that for yourself personally, you will find fulfillment and you will find the the, the purpose for your life when you understand Jesus's life and its personal purpose for you. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray together.